When I first met Mike, he had a Scottish accent. That's no joke, he did. He, um, he was living in East Kilbride, Scotland in 1987. I, I want to echo what Mike said. Uh, I hope you will just check it out. If you don't even know why you want to go to the meeting, but you think you do, go to that meeting and find out what God, uh, how he wants you involved. We have been on a long path in this church moving towards this. And God is providing all things. We haven't been anxious rushing into it, but in God's own time, he's been providing. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would bless this congregation as once again we step out into areas where we want to glorify your name and we want to bring your healing power to as many people as possible. Father, we know we don't control you. We cannot manipulate you, but we can simply be humble servants And that through the truth of the gospel and the power of your spirit, lives can be rebuilt and made whole. Those who need the gospel in all countries may hear it. Those who need healing and who need the gospel right here in this community may receive it. And Father, we pray that you would... um, Help us to keep this vision that you would stir it within our hearts and our mind and our spirit. And teach us to be as creative as you will allow in sharing the good word. Let this be a call to action for us, Lord. A call to action to decide to serve you always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On September 11th, 2001, so what's that going to be, 16 years from tomorrow, uh, all of us were somewhere when we experienced the collapse of the World Trade Center, and I was doing ministry in Lake Jackson then, and uh, saw the coverage at home on television And my first reaction, just just absorbing all of this, was noticing that this was a a terrible thing. The towers hadn't fallen yet. They hadn't grounded all the the, the planes yet. But I went to the office like every day. Um, Started checking on friends and loved ones. And then then, then there were calls coming into the office. And there were calls coming into the office. And one that I remember was from a young woman who had just had a child. And she said... Is this the end of the world? Is this the last days? And I've been, I've been trying to remember exactly what I said to her, and I don't remember my exact words, but I remember the gist of it. The gist of it was, I said, this, this is not how the world ends. This is not what happens. I said, I don't see Christ in this. This is not under his command or under his control. I said, this is not the way the world ends. I want to talk to you about what you're feeling. And we talked about what she was feeling and the anxiety that was, that was causing uh, for many reasons. And I said, get away from the news coverage that does nothing more than just stir you up right now. You know everything that you need to know. And ever since then, I've always thought about how word and news of the end of the world comes to us. And it's always in terms of a cataclysm. 
And we've been taught uh, to, um, to tune in to cataclysms. Right now, there's, there's not much any of us can do about Hurricane Irma. But right now, the news coverage is there. All the cameras are there. While people are still rebuilding their lives in Houston and, and in other countries where it's passed by, but we are, we are drawn by the media to pay attention to these cataclysms. Why? For what reason? It's good to know things. It's good to know how to help. But to just wallow and marinate in fear and worry and destruction, that hasn't done any of us much good. We come to the end of Revelation. And Revelation has taken us to a point where we see this glorious vision of the end. Where there's a city coming down from heaven. And it's a perfect city. And the people there are redeemed. And we, we dwell with God face to face. He is the source of light. And all evil has been eradicated. And then the text takes us back around and says, but we're not there yet. And the word about the end is simply this. I'm on my way. Some of you will recognize those three letters, OMW. If you, if you speak text abbreviation, I think your phones now are so smart that if you punch in OMW, it automatically translates it for you to on my way. Because that's one of the common texts that we use. I'm on my way. Where are you? You're late. I'm on my way. Hey, where are you? We're looking for you. I'm on my way. The end of Revelation is Jesus' message to us that says, I'm on my way. He's not late. He's on time. He's on his way. And I want to read to you from Revelation 22, that last section. And, I, and I've got to read from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Because I want you to hear this. And, you know, if you've got your Bibles and everything, don't look at them. Okay? Yeah, preacher said, don't look at my Bible. That's right. Because I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it because sometimes there's a lot of um, glory hallelujah language that gets attached to this text. And everybody just like, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming soon. Many will meet their doom. You bet. Yep, we get it. Mm -hmm, yeah, and, we, and we hear all this, but it doesn't come to us as a true message from someone we know. And at least what Peterson has done is he has updated the language the way you and I talk. So just listen to these words. Here's John. The angel said to me, these are dependable and accurate words, every one. The God and master of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his servants what must take place, and soon. And tell them, yes, I'm on my way. Blessed be the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John saw all these things with my own eyes. I heard them with my own ears. Immediately when I heard and saw, I fell on my face to worship at the feet of the angel who laid it all out before me. And he objected. No, you don't. I'm a servant just like you and your companions, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. 
And the angel continued, Don't seal the words of this prophecy of this book. Don't put it away up on the shelf, because time is just about up. Let evildoers do their worst, and the dirty-minded go all out in pollution. But let the righteous maintain a straight course, and let the holy continue on in holiness. Yes, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. I'm bringing my payroll with me. I'll pay all people in full for their life's work. I'm A to Z. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. I'm A to Z, the first and the final, the beginning and the conclusion. How blessed are those who wash their robes. The tree of life is theirs for good. And they'll walk through the gates into the city. But outside, outside for good, are the filthy curs, the sorcerers, the fornicators, the murderers, the idolaters, all who love and live lies. I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify to these things for the churches. I'm the root and the branch of David, the bright morning star. Come, says the Spirit and the bride, And whoever hears echoes, come. Is anyone thirsty? Then come. All who will, come and drink. Drink freely of the water of life. I give fair warning to all who hear the words of the prophecy of this book. If you add to the words of this prophecy, God will add to your life the disasters written in this book. And if you subtract from the words of the book, of this prophecy, God will subtract your part from the tree of life and the holy city that are written in this book. He who testifies to all of these things says it again. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Yes, come, Master Jesus. The grace of the Master Jesus be with all of you. Oh, yes. That's probably a different way of hearing these words. Come soon, Maranatha, amen, Lord Jesus, which we can hear, and it sounds like a lot of religious talk. But what you just heard is a hardcore promise that all of this revelation, these images, this is not just an academic study in, now what's the dragon and what are the beasts, and tell me again how the sea beast differentiates from the land beast, and when exactly does this fall? Is this pre-70 A.D. or is this post-70 A.D.? Now whose commentary is best on this? This is not just academic stuff. This ending is reminding us that it's real, and it's a call to action. And that this thing that we call religion or church or Christianity or the way of life or the way or whatever you want to call it. Your relationship with Jesus, our identity as the bride of Christ, it's real. It's more real than everything else that you and I deal with in this world. Because it's eternal. And the promise at the end of this book There's just a few lines to emphasize that so that we can be sent out to know, okay, this is real. First thing he says, there's a few things he says here, but I'm going to sum up some of the the messages of this end part. He says this is a reliable revelation. He says you can count on this. 
Sometimes it might have been hard to know, well, well, who's actually speaking there? Was it God? Was it Jesus? Was it the Spirit? Was it the angel? Fact of the matter is, it's all of them. They're all in agreement. What God says is the same thing that the Lamb says, and what the Lamb says is the same thing that God would say. And the angel speaks on behalf of the Lamb. We know where authority is. We know where true authority is. And they all speak the same truth. And then John, who saw all of this, stands as a witness. He signs his name to it, and he says, I did witness this. You know, we take affidavits in a court of law, which is merely a document that somebody signs and says, yes, this is the truth. We take all of that so seriously. I mean, sometimes when we sign documents that um, we may not even know that those documents are connected to fraudulent corporations, But we still take our signature so seriously. And you're forgiven because you don't know the greed and the corruption and the fraudulent nature of things that lie behind everything in this corrupt world. But here, John is signing his name, and we ought to see, okay, he's taking this seriously, we should too. He's a witness. And this last section is meant to emphasize to us, this is dependable. This is accurate. And all of that talk about not adding to or taking away, he's saying it's complete. You've got everything here. Just take it as it is. You don't need to, you, you don't need to water it down. You don't need to supplement it. It is accurate, complete, and dependable. Take it as it is. Take God at his word. And then there's a message in there where, you know, John's been doing this a couple of times. He'll be caught up in this revelation, and then he'll want to bow down to that angel. I don't know. I might do the same thing. You know, let's not judge him. You and I might want to do the same thing to see such glory. But the angel makes it clear. I may be a divine being, but I am not worthy of your worship. I'm a fellow servant. Worship God is the message of the angel. That there's no other object that we ought to worship. But the message of this also is, worship God or don't. You know the saying, there's no two ways about it? You know, there's just no two ways about it. It means there's only one thing, there's only, there's only one way. This is the truth. Somebody's trying to convince you that this is the only way it ought to be. Revelation doesn't do that. Revelation says, oh yeah, there's two ways about it. There's two ways, but just two. You either worship God or you don't. You either accept God, you accept his word as it is, or you don't. And those two ways, you can see them all through. In fact, your options are you've got God and you've got the lamb, or you've got the dragon and his two cruddy little beasts, and, and they're just kind of a, they're really, honestly, they're, they're not as terrifying as they are just sort of a, a messed up joke of a trinity. So, pick. It's a call to action. Revelation is saying, are you in or are you out? Those who choose God, those who follow God, those, those who have seen that it makes sense for us to, be, to give our full allegiance to our Creator, to give our full devotion 
to the one who creates and restores and makes all things new. Those of us who receive that gift, that grace, we get to go into the city. But the people who are invested in the lies and the practices that hurt other people and hurt themselves, they're not there. Are you in or are you out? Because that kind of evil must ultimately be eliminated from the creation. Now, this isn't God choosing up teams. I oh, didn't you hate that? Some of you may not have had that experience, but I mean, just the, you know, when you get the two, the two teams that on the playground and they start choosing up who you want, you know, uh, yeah. I was always the last one, you know, somewhere in there because I didn't really have a lot of skills to bring to it. And uh, so usually what I tried to do was angle myself to where I'm the guy that picks the team. And, um, you know, I'd I'd be like, um, I'd sort of be like um, Jerry Jones, you know. I mean, I can't play on the team, but I can own my own team. That was kind of my, that was kind of my way of doing things. And, um, the, but it, it's still, it's a, it's, a, it's a daunting feeling to know that you don't get picked. And then it's just that, that nervous spotlight of being at the end, and it's like, oh, nobody picked you, so you by default have to go to one team. What a horrible feeling. Or even if you're waiting and you are the last one picked. We sometimes think of the end of time as this big choosing up sides by God for the playground ball team. And years of predestination-type thinking have worked its way into our culture and our cultural mindset so that we think that God is its sort of a lottery. And there's fate. And if you look around here, some of us are going to heaven and some of us aren't. Revelation takes all of that apart. You and I get to pick the team we want to be on now. We get to choose. It's a call to action. God's not choosing up sides and and, and drawing names and some make it and some don't. You are choosing. You get to choose today whose side you want to be on. And you make that choice every day. You know, one of the things about... Celebrate recovery that they that they talk about in that program is is that you celebrate the victories you make choices every day You don't resign yourself to Hurts hang-ups and habits and say, oh, you know those things have control over me When we do that we say that those things then are our gods and they're not We worship God. We have one God and when that God is in control of us then We can rise above those things. He can give us the gift to overcome, to recover. And we learn that every day. So choose up. It's a call to action. We are responsible. One of the reasons we've called this entire set of lessons the post-apocalyptic church is because it means we are the church after the apocalypse. This apocalypse that John signed his name to. And an apocalypse is not a disaster. You're going to hear that a lot on the news right now about words like apocalypse, catastrophic, uh, catastrophe, on and on, disastrous. An apocalypse is technically a revelation. It is a revealing. 
You and I are the church that has the message. It's been revealed. The truth, the veil of heaven has been ripped open so we can see what God really intends. But now with that truth, we have a responsibility to choose upsides. We have a responsibility to decide then, will we worship God? Salvation is a process that engages us. Revelation keeps us from turning salvation into a matter of fate. Because sometimes, even in the church, salvation has been turned into fate. That what's going to be is going to be, and we don't know. And we don't dare assume. I was teaching a class once, and I was teaching out of Ephesians where it says, work out your salvation. And I said, you know, the meaning of this, sometimes we, we with, it's, by the way, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I said, the meaning of this is, is that we've got to live it out. That's what it means to work it out. We've got to put energy into it. We're responsible. We live it. We work it out. And then one of my, one of my most mature members said, oh, I don't know. I think it still means that you've got to do everything you can to make sure that you make it. I said, God takes care of that. You're not the one that, that organizes the, uh, you know, the, the arrangements to get in. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't, wanna, I wouldn't ever want to be too arrogant to think that I get there. I said, you're not. You're trusted in Jesus. Yeah, but still, I mean, some of us probably aren't going to make it. What kind of Christian witness is that? Go out and try to tell the, you know, evangelize the world. Listen, come to Jesus and you might be saved. Can't guarantee it, but at least you tried, right? Hey, nobody can fault you for trying. All right. The message of Revelation is, you, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Come drink the water of life. There's water of life for you. Clean up your robe. Is your robe dirty or are you filthy? Wash it in the blood of the Lamb. We have a choice. No, we're not perfect. But we can choose. Rather than accepting some fate that we were never meant to accept, the salvation of God is not fate. The salvation of God is a gift. And we trust in Him. Just like we trust on Him when He says, I'm on my way. Jesus will return. That's part of the story. Everything else has been done. For a long time, God's people waited for a Messiah. They waited for a deliverer, a redeemer, a savior. We've got that. Jesus of Nazareth was, was born of a virgin. He was baptized by John in the Jordan River. He preached this same responsibility. Even in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, everyone who takes these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock, but the one who hears these words and doesn't put them into practice is like the foolish person who builds a house on sinking sand. There's a responsibility there. It's a call to action. Now, that's not what saves us, but that is salvation, <laughs> To live that kind of life, putting the words of Jesus into practice, that in itself is salvation, saving us from the corruption, the evil, the damnation of this world. Jesus was crucified. He overcame death. God raised him from the dead. God exalted him. 
made him Lord of Lords, King and Kings, or another way to think of it is he made him the authority over every other authority. There is no authority higher. And you and I are called to come and make a decision to follow him. Now all that remains is for him to return and deal with this problem of evil. To eradicate it from the, from the creation because it corrupts things, it hurts people, it hurts, our, it hurts us, it hurts others. Christ will come back and make all things new. Not just to take us to heaven, but to remake all things into the heavenly realm of God. Now, when Jesus says, I'm on my way, here's the question I want you to ponder. Does that scare us? Does that frighten us? Sermons over the ages have, been, have used that line to frighten people. I've heard those sermons too. Maybe it frightens us, though, because we're invested in what's evil. Maybe we know it and we can't admit it. Maybe we're addicted to it. Maybe we're hung up on it. Maybe we're, we feel like we're trapped by it. Maybe it scares us or at least makes us a little anxious because we've got our own plan and we don't want God to interfere with that plan. Oh, I remember being baptized as a teenager and I'd bargain with God. Hey, God, listen, you know, can you give me a few years? I mean, at least until I learn how to drive. Yeah. You know, I want to see what that's like. Then, then we can go to heaven. The whole heaven thing's great after that, God. But you give me a few years here. Forgive a foolish teenager for being foolish. But maybe even as adults, we still have our own ideas that we want to, we want to drain all the juice out of this life. And then if you get heaven, well, that's a bonus. Yeah. But at least we made it through this life okay and everything's fine. And sometimes when we do that, we view heaven as the consolation prize for people who have to suffer in this world. Oh, it's terrible that you have to suffer. But you know what? At least heaven's better. Heaven's better than anything. Maybe we're afraid because we're afraid that this justice of God is going to come down on us. And maybe we need to have that fear of that, or maybe we've manufactured that fear of that. Once again, the promise and the offer of God is... Wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb. Come and drink of the water of life. And maybe some of us, and this might be the one reason why, the words of Jesus saying, I'm coming soon, I'm on my way. The one reason I can think of that we might be anxious legitimately is that we're worried about loved ones. The word of comfort I would give you on this is, their story is not over yet. And I would ask you, if you've got loved ones that you're concerned about, that you believe that sin is operative in their life, or they have not chosen their side, I'm going to ask you to pray for them. Pray for them by name, daily. Share that prayer with others if you wish. But God must make himself revealed in their life the same as you. I can't answer those mysteries, but I know this. It's like what Mike just said about Celebrate Recovery. We don't. We, we love one another. We encourage one another. But we can't fix one another. It's up to God to do that. As overall, though, the words of Jesus saying, I am on my way. I will be there 
soon. That is meant to come to Lord's church as a word of comfort, as a word of hope. I heard from someone that they were hoping for a word of hope in the sermon today. Here's that word of hope. You, you can't, there's no other way to sum it up when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, I'm on my way. The bad things don't win. That with Jesus, the worst things do not get to be the last things. And when the church responds, come soon, Lord Jesus. We're saying, we're texting back after he texts OMW, we're texting back ASAP. And somehow we need to work that into our culture and our life, that it is our statement of faith that we want the Lord to come soon. In some of our Bible texts, there's a, um, there's a Hebrew phrase that gets translated into Greek. And you, you've seen it, but you've seen it in music publishing. Maranatha. And maybe you're wondering what Maranatha is. Maybe it's just some Bible-sounding word, and you know these, these publishers decided to use that. Uh, however you pronounce it, Maranatha or Marana, Fa, or however, it basically means... Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. Or another way to translate it would be, Jesus is saying, I'm on my way, and we're saying as the church, we're ready. We're ready. The church can be ready. You know, if you have any doubts, you don't need me to fix it. Because I can't. But I've just, I've made it clear what the message of Revelation is. Drink of the water of life. Repent and be baptized is the way that uh, Peter said it on the day of Pentecost. Because the folks there thought they'd lost all hope. They thought, oh no, there's just there's no hope. We've, we've, we've killed the Messiah. That's it. All hope is lost. No. God raised him from the dead. Change. Come to him. Be baptized. Be baptized into him. Choose a side. Wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would teach us as the bride of Christ to be ready for the consummation of all things, the, the Z, the end, the, uh, the conclusion that wraps all this up so that real life may begin. And Father, I pray that we as a church, each and every one of us, every every living stone that makes up this temple, that we will have the confidence in you that we are ready. And Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing if you need to respond and feel ready. Why don't you do so today?